is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. Thanks for being with us today. We've had a couple of different roll-ins over the years uh, as we have tried to explain concisely what this show is about in the uh, in the little bit of 45 seconds that we have in the bumper music. And uh, and all these words are chosen very carefully. Uh, in the past, we talked about the implications, the foundations and the implications of our faith, because Outside the Walls, the name of the show, is is kind of a, a has a double meaning. The first is that we are a missional church. We are a church called to the prophetic witness to the world, called to to go beyond our the confines of our own four walls, and to take that message of faith, that truth, out wherever we go, to take that outside the walls. The second is that in order to be missional, we also have to be grounded. We have to know who we are. Uh, in, in the core of our being, we have to to have a solid identity, uh, and we have to be connected to our faith. So that, to me, invokes this picture of St. Paul outside the walls, which is a beautiful church in Rome. And uh, along the the roof line, well, the, the ceiling line, in this uh, this large church, you have mosaics of each of the popes throughout history. And so there you can see this long line of succession from one pope to the next as you look around and see these uh, over 200 mosaics, almost 300 mosaics, beautiful uh, expressions and, and really kind of tying us as in a family album to our church, right? So we have this, um, this missional and this grounded aspect of our faith and of our show. Uh, for the most part, that this gives us a pretty broad platform from which to view various things of our faith because the creed and our worship uh, intersects with each portion of our life. We ought to be able to, to look at our life and the things that we do, the practice we practices we have, um, the ways that we interact with the culture around us, and we ought to be able to draw a line back and to see what aspect of our faith is is behind that? Why do we behave in the way that we do? And to look back and say, ah, here, this, this tenet of the faith, this portion of the creed, this aspect of my Christianity is why I am the way I am, why I think the way I think, and why I do the things that I do. Um, for the most part, that we have this really broad platform and we can talk about really important issues generically. This week, we don't have the opportunity to do that because there are some very specific things that we need to talk about. For the most part, I don't talk about current events because current events are, by their definition, temporal. They aren't the things that last. They are not the things that carry on uh, into eternity, and they are not the things that generally matter. However, our response to and participation in those temporal things can have lasting impact on our spiritual life, on our spiritual health and well-being. And so today I want to talk, I don't want to talk, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, what happened in our nation this last week. Now, to put those things into context, I want to look at something else first. Uh, I promise you 
This is not intended to be a political show. Uh, even as we're going to talk about some things that happen politically uh, and try to parse those out, we're going to be talking about it from the aspect of how it relates to our spiritual health. Um, and hopefully to get a framework to look at it through. So I want to start by looking at something else that happened on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday was the Feast of the Epiphany everywhere except the United States. And uh, and there on January 6th, Wednesday uh, at, oh gosh, I don't even know what time it was in, in, in Rome when this happened, but Pope Francis gave his... Uh, his homily there in St. Peter's Basilica. And he said uh, something that that is very important uh, as he was going through the story of the wise men. Uh, We'll refer to it a little bit later as well, but he says, worshiping God is not something we do spontaneously. True, human beings have a need to worship, but we can risk missing the goal. Indeed, if we do not worship God, we will worship idols. There is no middle way. It is either God or idols. In our day, it is particularly necessary for us, both as individuals and as communities, to devote more time to worship. We need to learn ever better how to contemplate the Lord. We have something that somewhat lost the meaning of prayer, the prayer of adoration. So we must take it up again, both in our communities and in our own spiritual life. Um, for me, one of the things that I've been doing this week is the, uh, the we talked about it last week, the, the, the prayer with, uh, praying with the saints from the McGrath Institute for Church Life. Uh, right now we're going through the prayer of recollection with St. Teresa of Avila. Of course, you can still join into that free course uh, by going to mcgrath.nd.edu slash praywithsaints. Um, but it it's a really profound and I think right now important thing and, and perhaps uh, going through that has helped me process this this whole uh, event a little bit differently. The other lens through which I want to look at these events that occurred on Wednesday uh, is the lens of our baptism. Uh, tomorrow is the baptism of the Lord um, that we we celebrate the end of the Christmas season. It's part of this celebration of Epiphany, and here. Um, we see Christ enter into the baptismal waters where, whereby at which time he is revealed to us uh, to, to be the Son of God, right? The, the dove descends from heaven as he is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan, and the voice comes from heaven that says, here is my beloved Son, right? In him I am well pleased. We know this story. Uh, here, Christ enters the baptismal waters not to be cleansed by the waters, but the church fathers say, rather to make the waters holy so that when we enter the waters in our baptism, they can be efficacious for us, that the waters would cleanse us. So here Christ is entering into the waters for the purpose of creating a family, a way by which we can be reconciled to the Father and to gain a new identity. Baptism is that first sacrament of initiation by which We are reconciled to God the Father. We receive justification, washed clean of original sin, and and put in a new reality. We're made as now new creations and have to encounter dead to the world, Paul says. We've died with Christ in baptism. We've been raised with him uh, in his resurrection, walking in newness of life, new creations. And so therefore, because of our baptism, everything 
is different. Who we are is fundamentally different and our identity has changed. And so I want to look at all of these things through those two lenses, uh, through the question of our worship and who our God is and who we are through baptism and what allegiance now uh, we owe. So um, here we are. We're going to be talking about um, an event that is a current event. As I said, I don't normally do that. And so because of that, I do want to say um, that we are recording this conversation uh, that I'm going to have here in a moment on Thursday. Now, most of the time that doesn't matter because the things that we talk about are are evergreen, right? They can be really brought up at any time. In fact, uh, a lot of times I'm having a conversation on social media, I will uh, see someone asking a question about the perpetual virginity, or they ask a question about some aspect of prayer or evangelization, and I'll say, you know what? I had a conversation about this some time ago, and I'll go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, and I'll scroll through the archives to find that one particular evergreen episode, grab the link and copy and paste it into uh, into that, that chat to say, well, here's something that you might like to consider. Um, today is not one of those times, because uh, here we're having this conversation on Thursday. There might be something that happens on Friday before this airs that obviously is going to be missing from this show that we're not going to respond to because the conversation that we're having, um, I have not yet gotten so holy that I've uh, begun to share in the omniscience of God. So keep that in mind as you listen to this conversation um, that I might miss something really important because we're responding to it on Thursday, shortly after it happened. Now, before we jump into this conversation, I do want to say um, that I'm not going to to spend any time trying to tell you how you should feel or how you should be responding. But one, because that's really not helpful to any of us. We are experiencing uh, a response. The things that have happened, we've watched the news we have our impressions about them, and I'm going to hazard a guess that you have a very strong and settled opinion uh, and, and response to all of these things that have occurred. Um, what I want to do and what we're going to try to do in our conversation is to take two or three steps back and to try and understand our response and to look at it in its proper context, to be able to ask ourselves the questions of whether this response is something that that comes from holiness, from our Christian faith, from our belief, from those parts of us that are called to pursue the common good, or whether it comes from perhaps a, a slightly uh, disordered attachment to our our politics, to to our society, to our beliefs. It's possible. Um, that we can have even the right response for the wrong reasons or the wrong response for the right reasons. So I wanted to take some time and to look at all that's gone on through the lens of our identity as baptized believers and our identity as members of the body of Christ. So tomorrow uh, is the day that we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. It comes, it's the end of Christmas. We've come through this whole thing. And I want to take you back to something that we said at the very beginning, all throughout the season of Advent. That Advent is the time that we look and we say, all is not right with the world. And I asked you 
to imagine and to hold in your mind those things that you looked around where you saw injustice, where you saw things that very clearly fell outside and needed redemption, right? You you look and you say, this is not the way God created it to be. All is not right with the world. And then invite Christ into those places. Here, as we enter into the Christmas season, as, as back then when we did, I asked you to to bring Christ and invite Christ into those places that you had held on to for the whole of Advent and to say, okay, all is not right with the world, but the incarnation provides us the the solution uh, for, for these things to be redeemed, for all that's not right with the world to be set right. Because in Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, which is this, this um, beautiful already and not yet. We already have received the promise of Christ living and dwelling with us, and yet we still await that that redemption of the whole cosmos, not only of our the salvation of our souls, but the salvation of the whole created order. So here we are tomorrow. We celebrate the baptism of the Lord. Yay! Uh, it's the end of the Christmas season. We enter into ordinary time, and as if the cosmos was crying out and saying, don't forget, I still need to be redeemed. There on that day, uh, typically associated outside the United States with the Feast of Epiphany, we see the whole of our our political order cry out and say, hey, look, I'm still here. All is not right with the world. And and, uh, I just want to put that on display in front of you. So we watched uh, played out in just technicolor detail, all of the aspects of our world that still experience injustice, that still uh, just kind of telegraph out there uh, the problems that we as as a people face. We watched people who were uh, obviously disenfranchised and upset and wanting to express that go and take with them the name of Christ. In uh, I saw flags that said Jesus saves or Jesus twenty twenty, and they they marched them up with them as kind of their standard, um, and then did violence. Uh, and and this this is something that just cut me to the core, not because of any political stance that I hold, but because of my identity as a Christian, brought into this family of faith through baptism. And so to help me process this, um, I have invited Deacon Charles Beard from the Diocese of Tulsa, a member of the uh, Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker, to come and just kind of decompress with me because um, we haven't had one of these discussions in a while, Charles, and uh, I needed I needed to hear your even-keeled response uh, to talk me down, maybe. We, we picked a heck of a week to have this conversation. Well, could could this conversation happen any other time? I mean, this is the this, this is the Sunday of the baptism of the Lord that we are still today in the Christmas season focusing on the incarnation and society just imploded. So, you know, here here we are. Yeah. Uh you know, the, focusing on the incarnation is all about God entering into history. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's something that we say and it sounds almost trite, but living that out, uh, there's a real tension there. Uh, you know, a friend of mine yesterday, so we're having this conversation on Thursday. Yesterday uh, was the storming of the Capitol. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, 
But uh, yesterday, a friend of mine pointed out that the Book of Lamentations is is about the desolation of that sin, you know, brings to the human soul. It, it's about uh, the the uselessness of sin and the hope of Christ. It is all of those things, but it's also Jeremiah weeping over the destruction of his hometown. Um, and it can be both of those things at the same time. Well, it's interesting. Uh, we love to quote that that middle verse, like right in the middle of the book of Lamentations. We see this, but the steadfast Lord of the the love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never come to the to an end. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. That's like the only section, the only words in the whole book that have any sense of hope or positivity in them. Um, right, and it's the anchor; it's the center of it, but. That anchor allows him, I think, to enter into that grief and really do express it in a full-throated way. And you can grieve without despair. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think. I think what we saw among those who stormed the Capitol was grief at at an election loss. Mm-hmm. Um. And that grief led them to despair because they thought that, oh, you know, the country's over because, you know, because we lost or because we, because our guy isn't going to be president. Um, So therefore we have to take it upon ourselves to do this. Otherwise we won't have a country. And that's, that's, that's despair. That's not, when you hold, when you hold on to the end, which is the establishment of justice under Christ, we can then look at real or perceived injustice uh, and grieve with it and enter into it without uh, without despair, without the despair that leads to these very, very dark places. Well, and you reminded me of something that that when I first invited you on, I wanted to talk about. So let's turn that uh, the the ship just a little bit to that point, and that's this: um, we have this identity in in Christ, and we have this creed that we say. And part of that is that we believe that He is the King. Like right before Advent, we celebrated mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. King right? of the Universe. That's 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 a big deal, right? Um, we just celebrated this feast day, uh, and that ought to infuse us to say, you know what? There is no political order to which I owe my allegiance. My allegiance belongs only to Christ. My allegiance belongs—I am I am a stranger and a sojourner in this land, and I, I can participate in politics. I can participate in helping try to achieve the common good according to my prudential judgment to the best that I can— and yet my allegiance belongs to the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. And, and we have to look at this and say, who am I as a Catholic, as a baptized Catholic, who am I giving my allegiance to? Uh, do I really trust, do I really believe that in his divine providence, God is going to take care of all things? God doesn't need me to save the day. He does need me in humility and in holiness to be humble uh, and and to obey, 
to obey the the tenets of the faith, to follow after him, uh, and and not get carried away by the currents, strong though they may be, of our political realities day in and day out. All of our one thing we have to keep in mind is all of our political decisions are are tentative. Um, that that that's in small things like who do we vote for. Um, and in big things, you know, what what sort of government is the best sort of government for for our situation? Um, if I could draw an analogy, uh, Aquinas talks about uh, natural law and human law, and human law always has to comport with natural law. Um, and that 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 part of it, I think, is is fairly well known because if the human law doesn't comport with natural law, then then the human law is invalid. Um, but what what he says. Is, and I'm, I'm going to just going to read a, a sentence or so from from the Summa where, he, where he's talking about human law. Accordingly, we conclude that just as in the speculative reason from naturally known indemonstrable principles, we draw the conclusions of the various sciences, uh, so too it is from the precepts of the natural law, as from general and indemonstrable principles, the human reason needs to proceed to the more particular determination of certain matters. Human law is a particular determination of certain matters. Um, the, and so that relativizes all of our political decisions to the extent that, not to the extent that, it puts all our political decisions into the proper perspective. That we're always reaching toward the natural law, which is a participation in the eternal law. On this side of things, we will never get there. And when we begin to act like we can if we vote for this certain candidate or support this certain law or uh, or whatever, um, then then we begin to get problems. And then we, we get into places where we say, God says you must do X or you're a bad Catholic or whatever. Um, and when you get there, then you can, you can commit any atrocity, mm-hmm. including storming the Capitol. <laughs> You know, I, I look at this and and I see what Christ is calling us to. He's he's calling us to this place of uh, of living this new life, this new create. He makes us into new creations. He's calling us to leave our things behind. Right when he when he went out and he uh, called his apostles, called his disciples, he met them in in the place where they were most comfortable. Uh, in the place where they found their identity. And he said, come, follow me. And so uh, every one of them left something, right? Matthew left behind uh, his tax booth. Uh, James and John left behind their father's nets and his boats. Each of them uh, put something down in order to follow after Christ. And so I think that we have to ask ourselves, and a little bit of maybe even an examination of conscience, what are the things that I'm giving up in order to follow after Christ? And are they the things that he's actually asking of me to give up? Um, a lot of us hold really tightly to our, uh, our family of origin or our, our cultural understanding or expectations or our, our political background. And we hold onto those as a source of, uh, of identity, as a tentpole to say, I am attached to this when he's calling us to attach ourselves most fully, first and foremost, to him. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I can tell a, a 
personal story, just because as I'm processing all of this personally, I guess you and I are both kind of doing that. Um, it, about six months before I was ordained, um, I, I re-registered to vote and I left the political party with which I previously belonged and became an independent because I thought as an ordained person, I, I, I should take that step back from partisanship just to reduce the temptation to root for my team because it's my team. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one thing that I think God might be revealing to me is, is the extent to which I may have detached myself somewhat from my partisan <laughs> baby steps preferences. But, but I, I, I am really attached to American mythos and American civic religion, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is not at all clear to me if that's patriotism, which is a virtue, or if there's a, a latent idolatry that I need to root out. Am I horrified at this because that because it is an injustice, or because it is a, a the sin of violence, um, or am I horrified at this because they uh, you know they desecrated the temple of liberty, as everyone's calling it right now? Um, the that's a that's a subtle distinction, but I think it's one that we need to that I need to ask myself, and so maybe all of us need to ask ourselves what what is it. What is it in this instance that speaks to us? Mm-hmm. Are we trying to, maybe we're trying to justify it because we sympathize with the reasons for the protest. Um, that's, that's very easy to do. Um, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, something to take to prayer. Or are we um, secretly a little bit happy because we don't sympathize with the protesters, the rioters, and we just want, we're, we're, we're happy to be vindicated that, uh, that they've, you know, lived up to our worst expectations. Um, that's also very easy to do, and we we have to kind of step back from that. Um, or, or is you know, in, in my case, I guess it's a little bit of a kind of a broader thing to to keep in mind. But um, but that's something that we, that if we're going to relativize these. Uh, um, if we're going to relativize human law vis-a-vis the natural law or keep human law, human politics in the proper perspective, those are some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves in big civic events like this. Deacon Charles, one of the things I really appreciate about that is this recognition that any number of things could fuel our response. And so we really do need to take the step back and ask the question, what is it that is fueling my response? To do this little examination of conscience. There's a beautiful one put together by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. She's first and foremost a daughter of St. Mary's in Tulsa, uh, but then became a daughter of St. Paul, the religious order. She has uh, put together a little bit of an examination of conscience to help us understand and maybe contextualize and look at what it is that's fueling our response to help us follow Christ more closely, even as we respond to the events in our nation. We're going to continue this conversation right after this with uh, Deacon Charles Beard of the Diocese of Tulsa. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere because there's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Oh, my goodness. This week has just been a little bit overwhelming. I tell you, honestly, I've just kind of been on the verge of tears personally, because uh, I have people who are very close to me who are very upset one way or the other, right? Um, and and I've got them on both sides. And I, I have some people who, um, who believe things that just aren't so on both sides. And, and as a Catholic, uh, I, I believe in truth, right? That's one of the things that we see in the crucifixion story as Jesus is speaking to Pilate and Pilate says to him, well, what is truth? Well, we see that. We see that today um, from people who should know better, right? People who know the truth, who have uh, been given the truth by virtue of their baptism, the Holy Spirit lives in them. They have truth, but they've traded truth for a lie. And so I've been kind of just on the edge of of tears because I, I see that the Holy Spirit wants to bring redemption. And I see a whole bunch of people who have decided on both sides that they would rather have the momentary temporal satisfaction of being right in their own eyes than to be unified, to be one, to be um, compassionate, to put on therefore as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassion and kindness and putting away anger and malice and wrath and envy and all of those things that we are told by St. Paul in the book of Colossians 3 that we ought to do as Christians who have been baptized into Christ, been baptized into his death and have been raised with him to live a resurrected life, that life that the the Gospel of John says is abundant and everlasting life, everlasting life which doesn't begin when we die. No, it is present tense. It begins right here by virtue of our baptism, and we're to carry that on here, enlivened by the Holy Spirit, living that, uh, becoming sharers, John says, in the divine life. So, Charles, talk me down. So you were saying all that. I was thinking about George Washington. <laughs> um, when in 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 the in the Capitol building, um, in the the I think it's in the rotunda, but that the big dome between the House and the Senate um, is is a, a painting called the Apotheosis of Washington. Um, and in that, um, angels come. It's, it's almost like the Assumption of Mary. Um, angels come to the deceased Washington and make him a god. Um, and it's it's pretty central. George Washington is one of the few American figures that you're kind of not allowed to dislike, uh, no matter how right or left you are. Like everyone kind of like likes Washington. Um, uh, like even even the, that, that musical Hamilton, like, Washington was the one guy who could do no wrong in that musical. Um, so we have, we, we have made him a God. Um, it's part of our, our American mythology. I mentioned our American civic religion there, but that's dangerous, Mm -hmm. uh, for us as Christians. Um, when, and you said, you mentioned both sides, I think on the right, 
there's a, a certain like pride in in the American military, which Washington founded. Um, or on on the left, there's a, a certain pride in um, uh, progress uh, toward uh, racial equality or equality of women, uh, that sort of thing. Those are you know, and those are both good things. But when we we apply that to the mythology, we're not rooting it in Christ. And when that mythology falls, as all mythologies must. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we experience a crisis of faith and of identity because we realize that we're not really, we haven't fully put our trust in Christ. We still have put our trust in America. Um, I, I think that's the best part of what I'm feeling is I think I have put my trust in America. And so America will survive. American democracy will always. And so when I see people going into the Capitol and, and um, destroying things, that there's a there's a certain there's a little part of me that's like, what are you telling me? Washington's not really a god. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm he's I'm a clergyman. Like I, yeah, I'm a clerk. I should know that he's not a god. So what is it? What what is it in me that still kind of thinks that? Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I have to kind of uh, root out. Um, and and perhaps perhaps you have at least one listener out there that that uh, that didn't realize how much faith he put in his country. It's one thing to love your country, but you should never put your faith in your country. And I think that's something that I've, that I've kind of done. Well, and in a lot of, you know, I see that. Um, but I also see a lot of people putting their faith in a specific leader or a specific political party uh, as if they are somehow eternal and they are not right. Political parties come no. and, and go and, and ideologies come and go. And all you have to do is look into history to see that. Um, but 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 I think this is important for us to look at to ask ourselves what in what am I placing my trust? There's there's a, a passage I think it's um, in Romans. Some will trust in no no, no Psalms. Uh, some will trust in horses and some will trust in chariots, but we will trust in the in the Lord our God. Right. Uh, another says, uh, don't put your your trust in princes, right? But put your trust in in God. So here we are. Um, as a, a people who have a, a profound connection to our politics, or, you know, we've got mu- not just one, we have multiple, multiple television networks st- streaming new content 24 hours a day dedicated to politics, right? We like our politics here in the United States. Uh, and in some ways we have made them our idols, um, the, whether it be a political platform, whether it be a specific political topic, we've got that that God that we offer our pinches of incense to at the expense of our loyalty to Christ. And I think we have to be really careful and, and, and on guard and doing examinations of conscience to make sure that we're worshiping God as he is and not God as, he, as we would make him. Uh, th- this is something that, that Pope Francis did on on Epiphany, on on the real Epiphany, January 6th, um, he, in his homily, talked about if we don't worship God, we will worship an idol. It's not, it's not an option because we are a people made for worship. And so we have to be examining what is it precisely that I am worshiping so that I ensure that my eyes and my gaze is fixed on God uh, and not to the extent 
to the exclusion of everything else in the world, but that I view other things through God and in God rather than turning my attention off to the right or to the left. Um, both, <laughs> I started that just using that. So a, that's, that's, an, that's an apt phrase. Right. Someone should, someone should use that again. I, I, was, I was using it in the, in, the, in the way that it's used in Scripture. And I'm like, well, hey, I don't even have to explain that. That, does, that actually works. works. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, we can't turn our, our focus on, uh, on away from, from Christ. Uh, Aquinas says, and I'm going to screw this up, so um, if you're my moral theology teacher, please turn it off now. Um, <laughs> but uh, Aquinas said that, that there are three categories of false gods. Um, one is be like the, the, the false gods like Zeus or Hera or something. And Aquinas says those are just demons. So, so I think there are relatively few of us who worship those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other two were the passions. So, uh, you know, you function, you, you, you worship partying or, um, or, or even something like music, you know, you, that, that becomes your religion. Um, I uh, once heard of a guy that uh, his gym was his higher power and, that, and that's what kept him sober. And that's all well and good, but a gym is a, is a it'll only get you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the third category are, are things in nature. I think Aquinas used the example of, of the stars of heaven. Um, they worship the, the zodiac. Um, but that's a, that's, that's a created good. That's something God made for our enjoyment. Um, we should honor the stars because God made them to be beautiful. Um, in just the same way, we should honor the political issues that are important to us. We, you know, it is good to honor justice. Right. Um, but when we do when we do that too much, uh, it can become an idol. Well, going to the the, and of course Jesus was talking about wealth, but he says you can't serve two gods. You either love the one and hate the other, or serve the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and Mammon. Um, but I think that just as much as it could be said about wealth, it could also be said about pleasure or power. Right. If we give our attention and our sacrifice, we sacrifice of ourselves uh, for one of these things, then we have usurped the role, the, the place and the role of God in our lives, and we have put something else in its place. And and we watch this all the time. Um, we we see people all the time who move the divine off to the side, and who put something created in its place, and. Sometimes it happens very quickly, and sometimes it happens subtly as, as like you mentioned, justice or, or some of these other things, how they can become gods, because first we see them and we see they're important, and then we begin to sacrifice for them and to give our pinches of incense to them and to turn our eyes away from the proper context of doing these things as ministers of God and become ministers of that thing instead. So pay attention when someone says, "Are you, are you sure that that's the proper perspective? Are you, are you sure that you're not focusing too much on X?" If your response to that is, "Oh, are you saying X isn't important?" That's a yeah. good sign that you've gone too far. Yeah, or, or, or have the capacity to right, um, because we often it would be easy to to not answer the question honestly. And whether we've already gone too far or whether we're just setting ourselves up to go too far, it's never a bad thing to examine our conscience. If someone asks us, well, are you sure that you don't have the right perspective on that? Say, well, I don't know. Let me, let me think on it for a bit. 
that's going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to help you get a good sense of it. Two, it's really going to throw off your interlocutor, right? The person you're talking with is going to be thrown for a loop if you say, I don't know, let me think about it. Uh, it, it can diffuse. Especially in a hyperpartisan in a hyperpartisan environment. You're not right. supposed to say, let me think about it in a hyperpartisan environment. <sighs> so here we are. We are looking at this situation through the li- through the lens of our faith. What can we do today moving forward to maybe give ourselves some new eyes on this? What a, you, we've got the examination. Oh, are you asking con- me? I oh, am. Uh, I, yeah. Oh. What what how, how do we get out of hyperpartisanship or the anger that we feel at the moment? Um whether whether it's sympathetic with or not the people who uh, who stormed the Capitol, how do we get out of that and look at this objectively outside of our anger through the lens of faith? I think that uh, the first step is to, is to feel your feelings. And by that, I mean, ask exactly what your feelings are. Uh, they, they may not be immediately apparent. Um, and the... The, when you have found found out what that feeling is, then sit with that and say, "Okay, as, as you were, I think you were talking about it earlier." Um, say, oh, "Holy Spirit, okay, what? Why do I feel this? And um, what do you want me to do with it?" Um, I think those are those are two questions to ask once you have kind of identified what the what what your initial response is. Um, I want to throw in just kind of a, a final word of caution that, you know, we're talking about how it's a hyper-partisan environment and we should, you know, stay friends with people who disagree with us and all of that's well and good. That doesn't mean that the Christian message is always in the mushy middle. Right. Um, that That's um, so, some, sometimes one side is right and the other side is wrong. Um, and, and sometimes Christians are going to disagree on what the what those two sides are. Mm-hmm. All of that is okay. Um, on this side of things, as I said earlier, all of our conclusions are tentative. Um, so keep that in mind. And even if you make the wrong decision, Christ will bring good out of it. You know, I think of this picture um, a few years ago when uh, in the Ukraine, when the, the Crimean Peninsula was being occupied. Uh, and you had uh, you had the the Russian army, and you had the the, uh, the the citizens who were clashing with them. And there was this picture of a uh, a lone Orthodox priest standing between the two sides, just stalwart uh, as as a witness against the violence. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that in that way he was kind of in the middle, but it most certainly was not. The mushy middle. There is a place for prophetic witness. Yeah, that that, that that's a good point. Uh, and so, if, if we if we are called if we are called away from hyperpartisanship, that doesn't that is not a move towards comfort necessarily. Right. <laughs> there there is this 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 call um, to be a sign that makes the the sometimes to makes the nation stumble. Right. We follow after Christ in that way. Um, Calling people to a place of uh, of reconciliation, and that can only happen when we meet, right? That can only happen as that 
priestess standing there between the two warring sides, calling, it didn't work out in that instance, but calling them uh, to the middle, to a place of, of peace, to lay down the arms and to come and, and be together. Um, it's not a comfortable place, and, and very often we will fail. And we're not called to succeed, as Mother Teresa says. We're called to be faithful. And so yes. um, doing the right thing, even when, we, when, it, when it's assured to fail, uh, is sometimes one of the hardest things to do. Yep. Yep. Deacon, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, TL. It's always fun. If you missed any part of my conversation with Deacon Charles Beard from the Diocese of Tulsa, or maybe you want to go and listen to it again, catch something, make sure I said what you thought I said or he said what you thought he said, or maybe you want to share it with your friends. All of our episodes, including this one, are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can also, maybe you have something you'd like to say, you want to respond to it, you can leave your comments there or on our social media. Go to Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I would love to hear what you have to say. Now, uh, maybe you want to hear a little bit more. Well, we always record an extra segment. Uh, We've got a great group of supporters who help keep us on the air. And in gratitude, each and every week, we dig a little bit more into the topic with our guest for the week. This week's a little bit different because um, we... (laughs) The segment you just now listened to is actually the one that was initially going to be the Patreon segment, uh, and we ended up switching it. And so if you want to hear what we said in between the the first segment and the one you just heard, uh, come over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link. It says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link, and it'll bring you to the Patreon page. There you can find out all the information about how you can support the show, keep us on the air, and get a couple of extra segments and other goodies uh, for your trouble. Well, let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to verbum.com. Uh, man, it's just such a great program. Try it free for 30 days and then decide what level of library you want. Uh, I use the gold library here for all my show prep, and uh, I think that you will enjoy it as well. Our reading, our first reading, the reading from Scripture, comes from t- today's first reading at Mass from the, the first epistle of St. John. Beloved, we have this confidence in Him that if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked him for is ours. If anyone sees his brother sinning, if the sin is not deadly, he should pray to God and he will give him life. This is only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as deadly sin— about which I do not say that you should pray. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly. We know that anyone begotten by God does not sin, but the one begotten by God he protects, and the evil one cannot touch him. We know that we belong to God, and the whole world is under the power of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us discernment to know the one who is true. 
And we are in the one who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Children, be on your guard against idols. That reading comes from the first epistle of St. John, and this goes back to uh, to what we were talking about earlier, um, that that we need that spirit of discernment. We need to be on our guard against idols, against making God in our own image. He says there right from the very beginning that we have this confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then at the end, after he says that we know that we're in him, we know that we because we've been given the spirit of discernment, he ends off by saying, beware of idols. Beware of the things that could convince us that we were following God when actually we weren't. Beware of making God in our own image that we would ask for things that are not according to his will. So here we are. Let's pray for this discernment that being filled with the Holy Spirit by virtue of our baptisms, by virtue of practicing humility and seeking after God in all things— that we would have the discernment to know and to truly worship the true God and not a God of our own making, not an idol. Our reading from uh, church history today comes from a a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. In a plan of surpassing beauty, the creator of the universe decreed the renewal of all things in Christ. In his design for restoring human nature to its original condition, he gave a promise that he would pour out on it the Holy Spirit along with his other gifts. For otherwise, our nature could not enter once more into the peaceful and secure possession of those gifts. He therefore appointed a time for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, This was the time of Christ's coming. He gave this promise when he said, In those days, that is, in the days of the Savior, I will pour out a share of my Spirit on all mankind. When the time came for this great act of unforced generosity, which revealed in our midst the only begotten Son clothed with flesh on this earth, a man born of woman in accordance with the Holy Scripture, God the Father gave the Spirit once again. Christ, as the first fruits of our restored nature, was the first to receive the Spirit. John the Baptist bore witness to this when he said, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven, and it rested on him. Christ received the Spirit insofar as he was man, and insofar as man could receive the Spirit. He did so in such a way that though he is the Son of God, the Father, begotten of his substance even before the Incarnation, indeed before all ages, yet he was not offended at hearing the Father say to him after he had become man, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. The Father says of Christ, who was God, begotten of him before all ages, that he had been begotten today. For the Father is to accept us in Christ 
as his adopted children. The whole of our nature is present in Christ, insofar as he is man. So the Father can be said to give the Spirit again to the Son, though the Son possesses the Spirit as his own, in order that we may receive the Spirit in Christ. The Son, therefore, took to himself the seed of Abraham, as Scripture says, and became like his brothers in all things. The only begotten Son receives the Spirit, but not for his own advantage. The Spirit is his and is given in him and through him, as we've already said. He receives it to renew our nature in its entirety and to make it whole again. For in becoming man, he took our entire nature to himself. If we reason correctly and also use the testimony of Scripture, we can see that Christ did not receive the Spirit for himself, but rather for us in him. For it is also through Christ that all gifts come down to us. That reading comes from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. And this is truth. We have been made new creations in Christ. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing that is was made. We exist because Christ gives us life. But we exist in new life because Christ has redeemed our natures. We, re- we exist as new creations because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. So here, we have the opportunity to find that identity fully in Christ, to push aside every idol, every manifestation that we might otherwise cling to, every bit of our identity that we maybe have an affinity for, and say that we're going to find our identity fully and only in Christ Jesus. This means rejecting some things. It means leaving some things behind in order to follow Christ, just as the apostles left things behind when he called them to be his disciples. Come, follow me. I want to encourage you to spend some time examining your emotions over the things that we have encountered this last week and asking where they come from, and examining your identity. What are the things that you're willing to fight for and to die for? What are the things that are truly important to you, and are they the things of God, or are they merely things that are dressed up as important because our society says they're important? These are, are difficult questions to ask, but I think it's important for us as St. John said, to beware and be on our guard against idols. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us. I am praying for you, and I do ask that you would pray for me as well. Today's show was brought to you by Eileen Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.